Welcome to HealthCast, the heartbeat of health IT. I'm your host, Melissa Harris. For more than two years now, we've been enduring wave after wave of uncertainty and crisis that COVID-19 has brought to the country and world at large. It's been exhausting, to say the least, requiring agility, innovation, and an all-of-government and all-of-society collaboration. At the public health level, the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health has been a critical coordinator of federal offices, programs, presidential and secretarial advisory committees, and more for COVID-19 and other public health challenges. Today, we'll take a look into the work of OASH with the Assistant Secretary for Health, Admiral Rachel Levine. Appointed by President Joe Biden, Admiral Levine has an extensive history researching and enacting policy that addresses a variety of public health issues, like mental health, LGBTQ plus health, opioid addiction, and COVID-19 starting in March 2020 when she was Pennsylvania's Secretary of Health. She brings this expertise to the table at the federal level now as the country continues to take on COVID-19. We'll go into lessons learned from the pandemic and how we can continue to remain agile as COVID-19 evolves, the importance of intersectional health for improving American wellness, and where federal public health activities will continue to grow in the future. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on HealthCast today, Admiral Levine. It's truly an honor. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very pleased to be here. Yeah, so let's dive into things. So the Office of the Assistant Secretary for Health sees a myriad of different health offices and programs across the federal government. But obviously, COVID-19 has been one of the top public health and medical challenges the past couple of years. So what has handling COVID and the pandemic been like for the past year plus since you've entered your position? Well, thank you for that question. You are correct. COVID-19 has been by far the biggest public health challenge that our nation has faced and the world has faced in over 100 years. Uh, and so I've been working to address uh, COVID-19 since the beginning. Uh, of course, in 2020, I was the Secretary of Health of Pennsylvania and uh, worked uh, with Governor Wolf's administration to lead Pennsylvania through the pandemic and then had the honor of becoming the Assistant and Secretary for Health in uh, 2021, uh, working on it from a, from a national uh, perspective. And so, you know, I, I think that there are some specific lessons of the pandemic. Uh, one is COVID-19 has shown us how interconnected we all are. Literally, the choices that individuals make certainly impacts their families and their communities, but also impacts our nation and the world. Um, and so I think that that has a lot of implications uh, for people and for public health. The second is the importance of public health. Public health has been critical, of course, to our response nationally and internationally. And it is just very important that local, state, federal, and international public health officials uh, work together. Uh, and we need the workforce and the IT capabilities and the sustainable funding to be able to do that. The final lesson I'd like to emphasize is, is COVID-19 has shown us the depth and breadth of the health disparities 
in our country. And so, you know, even before the pandemic, there had been longstanding social and ethnic inequities that have led to worse health outcomes for people across the United States, particularly for racial and ethnic minority groups, people of color, uh, the African-American community, the Latino community, the American Indian Native Alaskan community, as well as others. And so it really means that addressing and eliminating these disparities and achieving health equity is critical and is certainly a priority of the secretary and the, and the priority of my office. And it's going to require a, a, a systematic approach across HHS and across the administration. Certainly. And we've really seen, um, you know, everything that you just mentioned coming to the forefront. And it's been difficult with COVID-19. We've seen a number of curveballs thrown at us, such as new variants and questions around how often we should get boosters and what kinds of treatments are most effective. So in your opinion, how do we remain agile and resilient from a public health perspective as the pandemic conditions continue to evolve? Well, you are correct. We have had many challenges, uh, particularly the, the different variants that have occurred uh, throughout the world and in the United States. And so, you know, we, we have made so much progress in the United States, um, in the administration under President Biden's leadership. We, we now have the tools that are necessary to be able to, to address a, a changing world, a changing pandemic, and, and keep our nation safe. Uh, those include our, our, our testing capability. It includes our safe and effective vaccinations and boosters and the, the, the therapeutics that are necessary to treat people who have COVID-19. But again, we all need to work together uh, to, to maximize the use of the tools that we have at the local, at the state, and at the national level. And so we need to continue to monitor, of course, with our surveillance, uh, different variants throughout the world that might impact the United States. And then we need to be able to be nimble in terms of our actions with, with testing, with our, um, with our vaccines, with our therapeutics, to be able to, to um, adapt to this changing landscape. Definitely. Obviously, there are other public health challenges out there other than COVID-19. Um, it's just been at the forefront of our uh, everyday public health issues these days. Um, but what has it been like juggling COVID-19 with these other public health issues that are definitely out there and still prevalent that your office is tasked with aiding with? And have you seen any consequences in these public health areas because of the increased attention to addressing COVID-19? Well, um, so uh, you're correct. Our office deals with many different public health issues and includes the behavioral health issues facing our country, the mental health challenges and the overdose crisis. Uh, in addition to, uh, to, to working for health equity, really across all of the different issues that we deal with, you know, we want to embed health equity into everything that we do. We also have uh, issues of climate change and health equity, the health impacts of climate change and, and many more issues. So, you know, at HHS and, and really for all public health officials, we have to balance our attention to COVID-19, but making sure that we are addressing these other public health challenges that face us. Um, and so I guess one of the impacts of COVID-19 is I certainly think that COVID-19 has 
exacerbated the mental health challenges that our nations face, particularly among our young people. Um, losses from COVID-19, disruptions to routines and relationships have led to social isolation, anxiety, depression, and many challenges for youth and really across the, the, the lifespan. President Biden um, emphasized this in his um, State of the Union address this year, and he announced a strategy to address our national mental health crisis and a vision of how to, how to transform uh, our, our, our mental health um, uh, system to be able to deal with this, uh, both in terms of the challenges that, that youth are facing, um, but then also, of course, the overdose crisis that we're facing. So we're going to work to do that um, uh, and to address all of those challenges, again, with that, that eye on health equity. Definitely. And um, you hit on some of the areas that Biden is certainly focused on, um, the mental health and behavioral health challenges and the overdose crisis. And you personally have some background on these health issues before you entered your position in this office. You've been an advocate for all sorts of different medical areas, um, you know, opioid abuse, mental health issues like eating disorders and LGBTQ plus wellness. So how did you come to focus on these areas throughout your career? And how, sure. are you, how are you bringing these experiences and work into your current position? So thank you for that question. Uh, you are correct. Um, in my academic medicine career in pediatrics and adolescent medicine at Penn State, um, I did focus on eating disorders and other mental health challenges for youth. And then in my role as the physician general and then the secretary of health, I concentrated on many issues, but particularly uh, the opioid crisis and overdoses. So what has always interested me and where I've really dedicated much of my work is that intersection between physical health and mental health, between um, medical issues and behavioral health issues. And so, of course, that includes young people with eating disorders and other types of, of, um, of, of chronic pain, et cetera. Um, and then with uh, opioids um, and uh, the disease of addiction and substance use uh, issues um, that I dealt with in Pennsylvania. So I, um, I am bringing all of that experience to my work here as the Assistant Secretary for Health. So, you know, again, um, under uh, the president's and the secretary's leadership, we are focusing on these mental health issues, and we are particularly focusing on that intersection between physical health and mental health. And so we, I, I am very pleased to co-chair the Behavioral Health Coordinating Council for the secretary. I co-chair that um, with my colleague, the Assistant Secretary for Mental Health and Substance Use, um, Assistant Secretary Delphin Rittman of SAMHSA. Um, and so we are working on every single aspect that I mentioned. We're working on child and adolescent mental health. We're working on that integration that we were discussing. Uh, we're working on workforce issues and communication issues. And so we are really dedicated to uh, across the department to addressing these very, very important issues. Just a quick follow-up there. Um, what are some best practices or uh, solutions that you, know, you and this group you were mentioning are working on and um, you know, maybe for an audience out there who's struggling with some of these different issues, I think that some guidance may be helpful as well. 
Sure. Uh, well, so some examples are, uh, again, with that integration of physical health and mental health. Um, you know, HRSA um, has has had in their community health centers um, for, for years now uh, embedded uh, behavioral health specialists, um, psychologists and others in their in their clinics. So we are working uh, to expand that model, uh, not only for the community health centers, but in many uh, uh, family medicine practices, internal medicine practices, as well as pediatricians' offices throughout the country, where we would have um, uh, psychologists and behavioral health specialists embedded in the clinic. Another is using telehealth. Um, you know, we have, telehealth has become so important during the pandemic, and so um, you know, I think that there is a lot of opportunity with telemental health, um, uh, with uh, mental health specialists both seeing patients themselves through telehealth or working with those primary care providers. Uh, to guide them in their care of patients. Uh, one example of that method is something called Project ECHO that was developed by the University of New Mexico. And it's a way to link um, specialists uh, at academic centers, um, such as the University of New Mexico, with, behave with uh, primary care providers throughout the state. We did this uh, with Penn State uh, College of Medicine for the evaluation and treatment of opioid addiction uh, when I was Secretary of Health. They had a Project ECHO grant, and we worked to expand access to uh, medication for opioid use disorders, such as buprenorphine, uh, through uh, from the, the addiction medicine specialists at Penn State to their primary care network and beyond. I think that those are models that we could really use uh, nationally as well. So we're gonna be working to implement those. In terms of, of advice for patients I mean, I th and, and families, I think um, going to their primary care provider is a very good step. Is go, For example, for a child or a teenager to go to their pediatrician, talk about the challenges they might face, and then you know, work with their pediatrician's office to, to seek the behavioral health um, counseling or treatment that they need. So I think that that's a good step. Now, Dr. Delphin, Rittman, and SAMHSA are developing a 988 hotline. Um, they'll be released later this year. Um, so, you know, a three-digit hotline uh, for suicide prevention. Um, and so they're going to be working on that to, to try to help people to have a really easy access to local services that can help them if they're having suicidal thoughts. Yes, keeping out for the 988 hotline is something that I think is really important for everyone, especially given how challenging COVID-19 has been on lots of people's mental health and how the mental health crisis in the country has been quite significant. So just going quickly back to COVID and connecting the dots with the different backgrounds you have, how can we address challenging health issues across the country as we overcome COVID-19? It's sort of been a moment of sea change. We've seen health disparities become a really central issue and just different gaps across the healthcare system coming to light. So what have been some lessons learned from the pandemic and how can we take policies and innovation to improve overall wellness across the country? 
Well, we absolutely need to do that. I, I guess in addition to um, the, the the emphasis I had spoken about previously on on the importance of public health and the the collaboration between local, state, and national public health authorities, I'd like to talk a minute about communication, public health communication. That is something that our wonderful Surgeon General, Vice Admiral Vivek Murthy, is working on in terms of 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 that that uh, public health communication to the public as well as as to other medical providers, and then also working to dispel and to deal with the misinformation that people get, um, uh, often on social media, but sometimes from other, um, other media sources as well. So I think it is critical uh, that, that people take that that critical eye towards the information uh, that, that, that they might see on social media, go to, um, uh, to go to reliable sources, perhaps their local or state health department websites, uh, the CDC website, um, HHS website, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, you know, follow the Surgeon General on social media and Facebook and Twitter, et cetera, to try to get accurate information so they can make the best decisions for themselves and their families. Yes, the misinformation piece has been a really big issue across the past couple of years. So thank you for bringing up that point. And um, as we wrap up here, um, speaking of communication, is there anything that you'd like to say parting wise before we wrap up today's episode that you think would be important for the audience to hear? Well, I'd like to emphasize that uh, interconnection that I spoke about. Again, we are all interconnected, and it's absolutely critically important that, that we come together as communities and as a nation to deal with these uh, public health challenges and the other challenges uh, th that face us. You know, um, COVID-19 has taught us that, is that we, we truly need each other, and that, that spirit of community is what makes our country great. And so that's what we need to hang on to and to emphasize. I think that's a great note to leave off on, especially since COVID has been such a trying time. Um, thank you for that sort of light at the end of the tunnel sort of perspective and way we can keep looking at the world. Well, thank you. My, my pleasure. HealthCast along with GovCast and CyberCast is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.